First Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Submission is a word that evokes a strong reaction. It is not in our sinful nature to yield to someone else. We are very keen to exercise our rights and our freedoms to not have to do what someone else tells us to do. Right? I'm, I'm free. I have my rights. And we are very keen to exercise those rights to say no to somebody else. But you'll notice that Peter says that living as free people, living as those whom God has actually liberated from sin and not using our freedom as a justification for sinful selfishness, arrogance, or disobedience, he, Peter says that if you are free people, you must, it will lead you. It, that freedom will lead you to willfully submit to governing authorities. Peter is saying that it is because we are truly free in the Lord that we are willing to give up our freedoms in the world. And that's a paradox. It seems contradictory. But it is the reality of a child of God. Now, in fact, Peter says it's a good deed. It, you know, last week we were talking about good deeds. What are some of the good deeds that we could do? And Peter says it's actually a good deed for us to submit to human authorities. Keep in mind, and this is important to note, Peter made this charge to believers in Asia Minor who were being persecuted by the Romans. It's most likely that just about a year after Peter wrote this letter, he was put to death. He was crucified by the Emperor Nero as part of an aggressive and horrific persecution of Christians. So all that is going on. That's the context in which Peter is writing this. And yet Peter tells his brothers and sisters in the Lord to submit to government authorities who were for the most part, and who were really most often in that context, immoral, cruel, and unjust. How come? How come he tells them to do this? Peter's charge is very similar to what Paul wrote to the believers in Rome. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, it says this, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. 
For rulers hold terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. What are Paul and Peter saying? Here's the simple statement that they're making. God is sovereign over all governing authorities even the immoral, cruel, and unjust governments. And that's difficult for us to comprehend or even to accept. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1 says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he, God, turns it wherever he wishes. Now, we want a good God to turn every king's heart only in good ways. And in John chapter 19, verses 10 through 11, when Pilate is speaking to Jesus, Jesus is standing before him. Pilate is saying, what have you done? Or, you know, trying to understand what the accusation is. When Pilate says to Jesus, do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. And yet, Pilate washed his hands off of Jesus, despite knowing that Jesus was innocent and despite being warned by his wife not to do anything against Jesus. Pilate condemns Jesus to be crucified. He says, you know, let him be taken and let him be crucified. So you look at all of those circumstances, you look at you know, how, to, how to reconcile these two statements. Submit to human authorities, and here are all these human authorities doing these things. Atrocities, injustice. And you say, how should I reconcile this? Remember this. Now remember that God, although he permits, he allows ungodly rulers to come into power and exercise authority, it does not mean that ungodly rulers are acting according to God's will. They're not fulfilling what God wants in that regard. He's not saying to them, do this, rule justly, show mercy, be kind. He's not, when God says that, these ungodly rulers are not following those dictates of God. And yet he permits them to rule. Ungodly rulers may never even obey or even acknowledge God. But here's the thing. Sin and its consequences, rebellion against God, the fact that we have said to God, I don't want you and I will be my own God. Human beings have said that 
right from the time we sinned or original sin, but all through history that has happened. Sin, rebellion against God, and then the judgments and punishment of God, as even what we read in these verses, sometimes administered through ungodly rulers, and even the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan through the completed timeline of human history, not just in a spirit of time. We look at some particular event and we say, how do we reconcile this? God looks at all of completed history of, of man, of the timeline of man, and says, I have fulfilled my purpose. There is a story. When we celebrate Christmas, we're speaking about a story that the Lord has initiated. But that story of what Jesus did or how that Jesus came is part of a much larger narrative. And from beginning to end, God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a will that he will fulfill. And in the context of fulfilling God's plan, there are seasons, there are episodes, there are these periods that we say, I don't know how to make sense of this. I don't know how to reconcile this. And God doesn't fully explain all of it. He doesn't say this is what has exactly happened. We get hints of it. We get glimpses of what's happening. We understand that human beings harden their hearts and then God gives them up. We understand that the devil comes and, and asks to do certain things. Just as we read when the Satan, Satan comes before God and says, let me afflict Job. Let me afflict him and he will curse you. And God permits him to do so. And so we have all of these instances, we have all of these the factors about what we are seeing. But there's one thing that is very clear. We must trust God and rest in his wisdom. The call that God makes to Job, even when Job questions him, or the call that, or the statements that we find fairly consistently in scripture, is not where God explains all the details, but where God says, where were you when I laid out the heavens? When I called the stars by name? Where were you when all of these things, the sun and the moon and all these things were put into place? In what way do you know or can you even fathom the wisdom of God? In what way do you say that this is right and that is wrong? And so God doesn't say to us in those circumstances, let me give you the detailed explanation. He says, I want you to trust me. I want you to know that I am in control, that I'm in sovereign over all of this. And when we go through loss, when we go through tragedy, when we go through persecution, when we go through feeling isolated, being in a school and feeling like there's nobody else who is with me, when we go through all of that, it is very difficult to see the sovereign hand of God, to recognize the sovereign hand of God, to recognize that God is the one who is raising up, as he says, as the scriptures say, he raises up kings and he brings kings down when all of that is happening. But the point that we make is that we must trust God and rest his, his wisdom. Which means the question is not whether there will be or even why there are ungodly rulers. The question is how should we submit to human authority? If the call is to submit to human authority, how should we submit to human authority? Well, submission to God supersedes submission to anyone else. Remember from the book of Acts that after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the disciples, particularly Peter and John, were turning Jerusalem upside down. 
They were going and declaring the gospel message of salvation of Jesus. They were declaring that this Jesus who you crucified is in fact the Messiah. And this is what he has done. And now if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. They were turning the city upside down. The Jewish leaders who had Jesus crucified by the Romans commanded Peter and John not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And in Acts 4, 19 through 20, it says this, But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. A little later, in Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 25, 27 through 29, it tells us that the apostles were brought in before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled with Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for Jesus. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. What's the biblical principle we must apply? Peter the same Peter who tells us to submit to governing authorities makes it very clear. As children of God, as citizens of the kingdom of God, as ambassadors of Christ, as those whose identities are firmly established in Christ, as royal priests, as obedient servants of the Lord, we must listen to, we must obey God over people, even if obeying God means disobeying the authorities. So when is disobedience justified? In what circumstance do you say, I'm honoring and I'm submitting to the human authorities, but in this regard, I will disobey. I will not do this. Only, we disobey, we do that, only when the government demands what is in direct opposition to God and what God requires. The Bible's making it very clear that we are to pay taxes, obey the laws of the land, and live at peace. You can't say, I don't like live, you know, driving at 65. I'm going to disobey. You can't say, they're taking too much money out of my paycheck. I'm not going to pay my taxes. You can't make those statements. You obey the laws of the land. You subject to authority. You do that. But in the ways in which government or ruling authorities would oppose the things of God and what he has commanded you, there is a justification for disobedience. And mind you, this is not to then mount some sort of an uprising. This is to say, I will individually, I will personally stand in this way for the Lord. Let me keep going. Christians can and should use legal means to address unfairness, injustice, or crime. However, our freedom in Christ does not 
automatically entitle us to oppose the normal or at times even abnormal course of government. So the nature and extent of our opposition to what we rightly discern to be ungodly will vary considerably. In some situations, it may be that you don't do anything and you are silent. In other situations, it may be that you will pursue what is available to you in the course of the law. In others, and in still other situations, you may face a much more dire consequence. But here, although in general, our opposition should be non-violent, I've shared how, in the past, when we were talking about Romans 13 in particular, I've shared how Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor and theologian, who, he initially tried to dissuade the Nazis during World War II, but ultimately, he felt that there was no option than to take up arms against Hitler's tyranny. And so he was involved in a plot to try to assassinate Hitler as a pastor. But that's where he felt, and he had a whole justification for it and when we talked about it and when we went through Romans 13 I pointed out what he said about the conscience and we made that reference in Romans 13 here but you know he says when my conscience is clear I know personally and I'm taking this action me myself he didn't say everybody else must also do this he said this is where I feel that I need to take this position and he met, went forward with that clear conscience. But so whether we're submitting to or opposing governing authorities, the biblical example is for us to obey God with a clear conscience. And so we have to evaluate every government authority and every situation in light of God's word, his truth. We must be discerning. We must obey God. We must take appropriate action. It's not just to be influenced to do anything and everything, but it's to take appropriate action for the context. Conflict between human beings has grown exponentially since Adam and Eve. Exponentially. Now we can avoid or flee from conflict and, and tyrannical human authority, but that may not always be possible. We can lawfully oppose ungodly human authorities, but we may not prevail. We may fight just wars, but we may be defeated. Which means, no matter what, we must accept the consequences of obeying God. Our goal in obeying God is not to say, we will win. Our goal in obeying God is to say, no matter what, no matter the consequence that happens from this action that I take or inaction that I take, I will be led by you. No matter what, I will look to you. You may be accused of being an evildoer when you obey God. Obey anyway. You may be persecuted for obeying God. Obey anyway. You may be taken advantage of when you obey God. Obey anyway. You may be unjustly punished or even put to death for obeying God. Obey anyway. Because you see, this morning I want to spend a few more minutes just getting to our point of application, which is this.
This is how Peter ends this section. And the response that we have to apply the word of God that we have heard is by respecting everyone, loving the family of believers, fearing God, and honoring rulers. Notice each one of those statements, those four, you know, conduct of four rules of conduct. Notice each one of those statements. Show respect, show proper respect to everyone. That means it, including human authorities, those you agree with, those you disagree with, those who seem to be good, those who don't seem to be good. Show proper respect to human authorities. Now in the, in the child's context, we may say show proper respect to your parents. But as the child grows, there's all sorts of opportunities to show respect to human authorities. Teachers in the school will let you know that isn't happening these days, but that is part of what the Lord tells us to do. Show respect to human authorities. Show proper respect to everyone. And then the next statement, love the family of believers. We've gone through scriptures before which said, you need to be paying particular attention to your brothers and sisters. Why are you in a local church? Because the call of the Lord is to participate in the body of Christ, to engage with the body of Christ, to give and to receive from your brothers and sisters, to receive spiritual gifts not for your glory but to serve somebody else, to manifest, to bear the fruit of the Spirit so that somebody else will taste and see that the Lord is good. We're called to be in a local church on purpose. We're called to be living stones that are being built up by the Lord. We're called to be the temple, the habitation of the Lord, so that the presence of the Lord is apparent, is manifest in our midst. We're called to serve in these ways, and we're called to love our brothers and our sisters. Why have prayer requests? So that we will know how to love our brother and our sister. Why hear testimonies? Because we want to rejoice with our brothers and our sisters. Why give? Why have a thing that says give? Why give generously in the church? Because we want to collectively care for one another and for others in the community and for others in the body of Christ. Why do we participate? Why do we say it is necessary for us to come together in this way so that I can encourage you and you can encourage me? So that we can say to one another, let me hold you accountable and you hold me accountable. So that we can say to one another, did you know that this is what the Lord has said to me? And the other person can say, oh, I praise God that he has also said that to me. Let's walk this way together. And so God raises up local churches all over the nation, all over the world, that with that body of people, we would love the family of believers. We would pray for and care for our brothers and sisters. We would build one another up in the Lord. Then it says, fear God. We've talked about this. This is not about living in fear, but it's living in the awe, the respect, the honor, the obedience, the, the veneration, the lifting up of the Lord Jesus and of God himself in such a way that you would say, Lord God, I desire to walk in your ways. It's not I'm afraid to walk in your ways. I honor you, I respect you, I love you, I see how glorious you are, I see that you are worthy of my trust, that I walk in your ways. 
And when I walk in your ways, when I allow you to lead and guide and direct my steps, when I let the Holy Spirit tell me this is the way walk in it, oh, there is a difference. There is a difference. And so I fear God. I live in the awe of God. I live in obedience to God. And then, after saying all of those things, notice that Peter puts honor the emperor at the end of these list of four codes of conduct. At the very end, he says, honor the emperor. You know what happens to us? We start there. We say, should I honor the emperor? Oh, no, I shouldn't be obeying this person. I shouldn't be submitting there. Oh, this is... We forget the other three points. I'll tell you this. If we are living our Christian lives in obedience to those first three points, by the time we get to honoring the emperor, it'll be a natural activity. But if you don't do the first three things, you will certainly struggle with the fourth one. If we are living in such a way that we show proper respect to everyone, regardless of who it is, and if we are living in such a way that we love the family of believers, which means that we not only serve those who are in the church, but we actively, eagerly long for others to be joined into this family. We have something great over here. Come, come, come. Come and join in this. Celebrate with me. And so if we are doing that and the family of believers is growing, each local church growing and affecting the community, reaching out to the people that they are serving, doing those things in such a way that the family of believers continues to grow, what will it do to us? It will transform us. It will make us other-centered rather than being self-centered. It will make us sacrifice time, talent, treasure, do all of it, give it and do all of it, be stewards of the Lord's resources for the sake of the family. We will value the family. We will say, this is who I want to be joined with. And so we're doing that. If we're doing that, and then with those brothers and sisters, with all of the body of Christ, we live in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. We live in the fear of the Lord so that he directs our steps. We live in the fear of the Lord so that we are able to let our steps be firm, not stumbling. When we're doing all of that, and then somebody says to us, hey, honor the emperor, there won't be any trouble. There won't be any difficulty. There won't be any confusion. There'll be an ability to discern. There'll be an opportunity to encourage one another. There'll be an opportunity to say, this is what the authorities are saying. Do we need to obey? Yes, great. This is what the authorities are saying. Do we need to disobey? Do we need to dissent? Yes. Then, great. And guess what? As we disobey, as we dissent, we may face persecution. We may face all sorts of attacks. When Peter writes to these believers, he's not saying to them, do this, honor the authorities, and they will be great to you. Honor the authorities, and they will give you partial, you know, some, they will show partiality. They will be favorable to you, right? Honor the authorities, speak well of them, and they will leave you alone. In fact, we're coming into those scriptures even in the next portion. It is tied very much to suffering. He says, honor the authorities. And then the next statement is, and when you suffer, 
This is what the Lord will do. The call of Christian, the call to the Christianity, the call of the Christian life, many times in our circumstances, we forget that it's actually a call to suffering. We, we forget that it's actually a call to sacrifice. We forget that all over the world, there are many, many people who are living out these principles and are doing everything they can to submit to human authorities and being killed for it. That's happening right now. When we come to the Lord Jesus, let us honor his word by honoring spiritual, spiritually designated, God's designated human authorities. But I want to challenge you this morning that we don't leave from here without making this commitment. That Lord, help me to take those first three steps. Help me to show proper respect to people. And this is building up, by the way, as we talk about the next two submission topics. By the time you get to showing respect to everybody, loving the family of believers, you know, living in the fear of the Lord, honoring the emperor, then even husbands and wives can live in peace. Yeah, even. Right? But we're going to get there. This morning I want to challenge you that we would pay attention to what the Lord is saying. Peter doesn't say these things. Jesus didn't do what he did. Paul didn't write his epistles in a theoretical way. They went through these things. They lived this out. They were absolutely familiar with these things that they're stating. And so we have encouragement. We have a challenge. But we have the reminder to depend only on the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much that, Lord, our call to submission is not about identifying first and foremost who we should submit to, but it's, Lord, identifying and being clear who has asked us to submit. It is you. You, Lord, have said to us, submit. Learn how to submit. And so, Father, I pray that we will pay attention to you that we will obey you, that we will trust you, that we will look to you, that we will, Lord, honor you, that we will be led by you. And as we do that, I pray, Father, that you would enable us to submit appropriately, Lord, appropriately to human authorities, never compromising the word of God or the principles of God, but living in such a way so as to honor God before all people. So that, Lord, there will never be a statement made that is against what we have done, but that rather our good deeds would be visible to others and draw their attention to Jesus alone. Help us, Lord. Grant us grace. Father, let this word continue to ring in our hearts and prepare us, Lord, even to receive more personal, Lord, challenges. Maybe we are in this position right now, each one of us individually, where we are honoring and respecting, Lord, human authorities. But Lord, there are many areas in each one of our lives where we don't submit, where we hold on to our rights, where we hold on to our freedoms. Help us to understand and to live out the true freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. Lord, grant us grace to live in the fear of the Lord.
We pray all this together now in Jesus' name. Amen.